Hi, and welcome to the Filmmaker's Compass podcast. It's D-Man, joined by CP. How are you doing, man? I'm good. We're here doing another Total Rewind episode this week. Yeah, I'm really stoked. We have another good movie in store for everybody, which we'll get to in a sec. But um, I'm really happy about the feedback that we got regarding you know, the first Total Rewind episode, and then even the feedback we got last week for Greg Vieser's episode, which was actually an incredible podcast. So... If you haven't listened to it yet, I recommend you listen to this episode, then go back and listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super informative. He has so much great advice after all the time he spent working in the industry. It's very cool. Yeah, and it was a pleasure to just have him on the show and uh, you know get to hang out for you know the better part of an hour, which is actually one of the coolest parts of Filmmakers Compass podcast is you know you get to hang out with filmmakers and uh, talk movies for <laughs> for fun. What's really for better work. than that? Yeah, right. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I wanted to switch it up this week on the podcast because we actually have some shout outs to do this week. And I'm pretty excited about that. I want to you know, make sure that the people who left us feedback and uh, left us comments on social media, uh, we call that out on the show. So if you're ready, I'll go ahead and jump into that first. And good. None other, uh, the first person whose feedback we have is none other than Connor Geary. And that's at Teacup Adventure. And Connor jumped in about Greg's episode and said, Gregory Vieser has so much knowledge on film. This episode is a must-needed one to listen to. As a fellow aspiring film director, I learned so much great advice. So, Connor, thank you. We appreciate you listening and, of course, dropping us the feedback. Connor has a few projects in the works himself, and hopefully at some point we'll be able to get him on as a guest. That would be pretty cool, I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know about that. I, I think we could make that happen. So uh, further shout outs at Aiden Martinez underscore actor uh, jumped in on one of our posts and said, thank you for the shout out. Looking forward to listening. We hope you did listen. And in this case, we hope you're listening right now and you heard your shout out <laughs> um, at egg videography said, thank you. I'm excited to listen. Same notes to you as well. And we appreciate both of the comments. And finally at true dingle, Oh, thanks. How wholesome. Can't wait to listen and see the podcast grow. So we appreciate any support. If you guys, you know, find us wherever you're at on social media, if you want to go ahead and share the show, if you think your, your uh, followers would find it valuable, that's much appreciated. And just if you enjoy the content, uh, feel free to share and, and give us a shout out. We always appreciate, you know, any feedback and notes that anybody has. So thank you all. Um, that does it for shout outs. If you're ready, we can go ahead and announce the movie for this week's Total Rewind. Let's do it. All right. Well, you know, keeping on the theme of our previous Total Rewind, which we did super bad, this time we're doing Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yay! So a true classic, 80s classic, and one of those movies that, you know, even super bad, I'm sure, takes some inspiration from. Yeah, I think totally. it's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Dazed and Confused, American Pie, that type deal, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it, it's not romantic comedy. It's like a high school comedy. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because even, um, I always in my mind consider it a comedy, yet when I watch it, there's a lot of dramatic action. And, uh, you know, I mean, it deals with some pretty serious themes, important stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, coming of age tale for that yeah. age group. And, it does it really well. I mean, one of the things, you know, obviously 
in preparation for this episode, I had the pleasure of rewatching it, which was awesome. And yeah. one of the things that stood out to me, it's weird when I was younger, I thought a lot about it, but also thought nothing of it was the nudity. Yeah. Right. Was weird because I don't know. There's obviously they're actors, but they're playing high school students. Right. And I don't know. It's kind of weird as an adult watching it. I was like, this is kind of strange. Yeah. Where, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. It's just one of those things that, that really stood out as like, I don't know if you, I don't know if they would do that today. Probably not. Huh? There's a lot of stuff in that movie that I don't think my, you know, um, audiences today would ever be cool with. Yeah. That, and if you, I don't know if you've seen Dazed and Confused, but there's things in that. I remember even, you know, when I was younger being like, did people really used to do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I think part of what makes the, why the film is stuck around and, and, you know, kind of, um, survive for almost 30 years here now is the fact that it's, it's almost a time capsule into life in the eighties. Right. And I think all Gen Xers look back on that film kind of fondly remembering the good old days. And for those of us who were not, did not grow up in in the eighties and go to high school, we can kind of look at it as this is what you know, life was like for the American teenager in 1982. And like you said, it is, it has that time capsule quality, but it's also classic. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that comes from this movie that's, you know, obviously made its way into other, you know, high school comedies, but also into, you know, kind of mainstream lexicon. Totally. I guess yeah, you're if, absolutely you, right. if you want to go ahead and uh, jump right into our lists on, on this movie, Um, I'll throw it over to you first. So Fast Times at Ridgemont High and list number one is going to be top three characters. Top three characters. Um, So the third character that I went with was Charles Jefferson, who is played by Forrest Whitaker. Um, It's like his second movie as an actor. The thing I like about the character is he's clearly a much smaller character than kind of the other main characters in the film. But I thought it was really interesting because it breaks the 80s mold of the jock. In most 80s movies, the jocks are always kind of the, they're either bullies or they're the bad guys. And he's kind of, um, obviously he has this weird relationship with Spicoli. For the most part, his storyline is about him, about the car that he drives and about his one epic game against Lincoln. And I thought that was a different look at a character. When I was doing yeah. How how awesome was that slogan for when they played Lincoln? It's (laughs) assassinate Lincoln. Yeah, very, dude, very. (laughs) I Uh, did not remember that. I was like, that is hilarious. When I was actually, obviously, and we didn't mention this for the audience, the backstory for the film is Cameron Crowe, who graduated high school early, he convinced the publisher after spending some time traveling the world with Rolling Stone to let him write a book where he went undercover at a San Diego high school. Oh, wow. and, I didn't know this. And so the characters that he wrote are based off of these real people that he observed. And I'd love to read the book. Uh, I looked on Amazon. It's going for like $800. So Holy I'm probably cow. not going to read it. But when I did a dive into it, one of the things I found out is that actually Charles Jefferson's character has some amazing stories in the book that never made it into the film. One of them is he gets on a bus and he forces the, the city bus driver to take him home since his car's in the shop. And um, <laughs> again, I, 
I thought it was an interesting change on the jock character, and I would have loved to have seen more of the character from the book. The second Ooh, yeah, character, I mean, yeah. Now that you say all that, I'm like, I, me too. <laughs> uh, the second one I went with was Mark uh, Rat Ratner, and I just thought that you know, growing up as a teenage boy, I remember I could relate to his character. That yeah, scene, he's by far the most relatable. Uh, when he's trying to psych himself up, you know, about going over and uh, getting a phone number. Yeah. I just remember thinking, like, I, I understand that, dude. That is what, you know, when you're, like, in middle school, high school, trying to talk to some of the opposite sex is like. Um, and I thought they captured it perfectly. Another interesting note is, as I said, when I went back to research the book, Mark Ratner's character is based off of um, who ended up becoming Cameron Crowe's best friend when he sort of relived his senior year of high school. Oh, wow. Um, and so I wonder if that's why in some ways his character is treated a little bit more generously or he's a little bit more likable than the other characters in the film. Yeah. Um, maybe just some bias on Crowe's own uh, experience knowing this guy that he liked. Apparently in real life he ended up becoming like some millionaire working in uh, the early days of computer programming. Also, nice. And then number one is obviously Jeff Spicoli. I mean, he sets the prototype for the original stoner surfer character. Yeah. As someone who went to high school in San Diego, like I knew 30 of those guys. I played water polo with them. And he's got some of the best one-liners. He really does. Set Sean Penn on the map. And um, I was reading, I found it very funny that apparently he thought he blew that, that whole casting session when he was a young actor. And I guess um, casting director Chase after him after the audition is like, no, come back in. Let's do it again. And then Spicoli was born. So I thought that was kind of a cool story. That is a cool story. And it's weird, too, because watching the movie again, I mean, we all know that's Sean Penn. But, I mean, you watch it and it's Spicoli. Like, I didn't, I mean, yeah. it doesn't feel like Sean Penn. I'm like, oh, shoot. So, great list. I actually have three different characters, though. We didn't overlap this time. That's so good. number number three on my list is Linda Barrett. And obviously, uh, you know, the pool scene, you know, as a young teenager was, you know, one of those scenes that it's like everybody sees at some point. Yeah. But even more than that, like she's kind of a she's a fun character in the sense that she's the one who kind of has the experience, has the older boyfriend. So she's a little bit of a catalyst to kind of push Stacy to try new things. Right. And yeah. the things are often with boys, and yeah. which is fine. But she also has Stacy's back. She's a good friend. You know, she writes prick on the car in the locker and or little prick or something. I forget. Yeah. But yeah, she's a good friend. Obviously, at the end, you know, she has her own issues, even though, you know, she has all this experience. And I found her to be a great character as kind of a catalyst that really kind of pushes the story. And totally. pushes the characters. So I like totally. that. Number two on my list is Mr. Hand. Oh. <laughs> First of all, I like that character for the name. I don't know if that's based on a real person, but what a name. It's memorable. Yeah. And he's a memorable character in the sense that he kind of embodies a stereotype. Like, who hasn't had a teacher like that? And I'm sure we all have at varying degrees of our education. That was just kind of like by the book sarcastic kind of a dick yeah and but ultimately like he wants you to learn he is a teacher that cares you know a lot about students abilities 
to pick this up, but he's that, that teacher that doesn't change his ways to fit all the learning styles. I think at one point he's even like, like, what are you all smoking? You know, he's like, I just don't get how we just talked about this. And he's like, F F he's like, what happened? But like all good characters, he does have a bit of a turn. And at the end, you know, he comes over to Spicoli's and he's there honestly to be like, I want you to know this. And which is a good scene. He doesn't fully get it. You know, he's like, he kind of is like, you know, Spicoli. He's like, it's not an act. That's who he is. And he's like, you know what? I want you to know this information. And I think that's a good teacher. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, would I like to have him as a teacher? I don't know about that. Probably not. But <laughs> uh, he made for great comedy and a great foil to Spicoli. So totally. number one on my list is Brad Hamilton. So okay. Judge Reinhold's character. And I liked his character because he constantly finds himself kind of on like like the shit end of the stick. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like he's working fast food and he wants to break up with his girlfriend who also works there, but he gets fired before that <laughs> for helping a guy during a bathroom break that costs him his job. And then his girlfriend breaks up with him. Then he has to wear a pirate costume. Then he's working and like <laughs> his store gets robbed. He's that guy that like we're always, you know, if you if you ever indulge in like self-pity, he's that guy who's like, why does this always happen to me? <laughs> yeah. You know, um... and, which is funny because he almost early on projects, you know, confidence. He has this nice car. He kind of, you know, even though he's working at fast food, he kind of is like, I can help people get jobs. He's this guy who takes pride. He's had this girlfriend for two years. And like the whole thing just goes to shit in no way like he planned. <laughs> totally. Which as high schoolers, we could relate to. Funny fact about casting. There's actually three actors who, um, you know, appeared in this movie in the early part of the career who all went on to end up winning an Academy Award for Best Actor. Oh, wow. So one of them is obviously Sean Penn, who's won the award twice. Yeah. Uh, the other one was Forrest Whitaker. But right. do you know who the third one is? Ooh, um, I don't. Nicolas Cage. It's actually his first movie, and he works at the burger place with Judge Reinhold. What? That was Nick Cage? Yeah. So you're like, there are three Academy Award winning actors in this film and i just i think that's cool because i'm assuming that no one in 82 knew what those guys were gonna go on to come but how funny right yeah that is crazy i didn't even i didn't realize nick cage was in it yeah it's I, gotta, now I, I have it i'm like i'm gonna go re what scene the, be, the very beginning yeah yeah yeah. when he's working in the at the burger place oh my gosh i gotta rewatch it i can't even yeah. believe i missed that yeah crazy right indeed All right, well, let's hop into our next list. I guess I'll go ahead and kick this one off. And this is top three scenes. Okay. So number three for me is actually the abortion scene. And as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, there were some serious moments in the movie. And it really stands out to me for two reasons. Well, three reasons. One is abortion in film is somewhat taboo. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's almost like a lot of stories when someone gets pregnant, they don't even really address it. A character might bring it up, but that's often dismissed. And so the second point about that scene is the kind of almost nonchalant nature of it stood out to me where it was like, not casual, but it was like, oh, that's just an option where yeah. even yeah. M- like myself, uh, you know, if, 
if I were, you know, gonna be having a kid and I'm thinking about what my options are, I'm like, this is like a huge life decision, you know, I, I would probably be freaking out. And instead it was kind of like, you know, hey, can you take me to the clinic? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I was reading an interview with Cameron Crowe and he was talking about um, obviously the controversy of that scene. And he talked about how Amy Heckerling's decision to shoot the abortion scene. And, and when he talked about it with her, she said, um, she said, you know, this is life and I want to shoot it as life. And I thought it's weird because you watch it and it's almost politically neutral on the issue of abortion, which I don't think you would ever see in this day and age where it would be totally politicized. And I thought yeah, that was right? her part. And then the third thing, the reason why I really liked that scene was after it's over and she walks outside, her brother's there and it really kind of shows this bond between brother and sister where he's like, you know, it's my secret. Like, I'll give you a ride and you want to go get some food, you know, yeah. basically like it has her back. Yeah, it has her back and is also like, you know, I'm sorry you felt you had to go through that by yourself. Yeah. So good one. Yeah. I, Thought that was a very powerful scene. Number two on my list is the first day of class. So oh, great scene. Kind of like my number one. It's a bit of a montage scene where, you know, they, they do those funny gags where like, you know, a boy's walking down the hall, like checking out a girl and hits his head on a locker. They have people that are trying to get to class before the bell rings. And then the famous, you know, Spicoli shows up late and it's the, you know, I don't know quote on the board, but introduces you know those that character dynamic but it yeah. it just stands out as one of those scenes where i'm like yeah everybody on the first day of school like they they do the stuff where you know someone's like oh do you know where this class is and they're like yeah you got to go that way and they run off I was yeah like, i've totally been there i mean you and i uh when we were freshmen both attended penn high school in mishawaka indiana and that was a pretty big school right Oh, totally. It's indoors, um, so there's not multiple buildings to kind of find your way around. It's like a, you know, a maze of hallways, and yeah. you could get lost. I mean, I, I did. I don't know about you. Oh, totally. And I remember, like, I remember when we went to high school, they told us that it was called the mall school because it looked like a mall from the outside. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, as, you know, a teenager, I remember the first day of school, you know, for us, it was the girls. <laughs> you know, you would see girls throughout the summer. And obviously, like I had friends who were girls that you would see. But when you go back to school with, you know, essentially like almost 3000 students. Yeah, uh, that was a fun day. <laughs> <laughs> so and number one, as I mentioned, is another montage scene. It's the one that opens the movie. And it's one of my favorite scenes in a high school comedy. And that's the montage at the mall. Oh, that's a great scene. I mean, it almost feels lifted out of like season three of stranger things and i'm sure there's things in stranger things season three that are a complete homage to that mall scene yep but everything about it just feels right i mean the escalators the mall's packed there's students working they're talking about relationships trying to you know uh get into the movies do all the things that happen at the mall which it's just such a fun place especially when you go back to the midwest and this was chicago correct uh, no, well, it it took place in San Diego, but it was filmed in L.A. Okay, well, that makes sense. Beach scenes. Yeah. Um, so those are my top three scenes. I'll throw it over to you. Great, great list. Um, we overlap a little bit, so I will keep it brief. Uh, number three for me is the end of the film with uh, Spicoli and Brad in the convenience store. 
much. Oh, yeah. First of all, I think they have a great dynamic. And throughout the entire movie, we see Brad failing, right? He has these goals and he fails. And he fails first job, second job in his relationship. But in this one, we see him finally succeed. And we think he's about to fail, but he ends up being successful and foiling a robbery. And it's nice to end the movie on that high note for him. Um, And I always wonder watching it too, and if I ever get the chance to ask him, I totally will, if this scene in any way uh, inspired Kevin Smith to write Clerks. Oh, that's interesting. Because it just, uh, there's just something about it where you watch this little, you know, vignette in the story and I'm like, huh, this, you could make a movie out of it and it'd be entertaining. Um, The second scene for me is Stacy, when Stacy loses her virginity. She goes with that older dude. Uh, he takes her to the dugout at the point. And the reason why I, this scene, every time I watch it, makes me so uncomfortable. And I think that's just a testament to good filmmaking, right? The yeah. way it's shot, she's, she's looking up at graffiti on the ceiling. And I think it's like this very odd, honest scene. And at the same time, we can tell that this isn't what Stacy wants and what she imagined. And we can kind of see the disappointment in her as it's happening. Right. Um, we think that this dude, Rob, is like a super sketchy, sleazy guy who's like a 26-year-old picking up a high school girl and taking her on a date to like the point, which is a dugout where he they hook up in like the dugout of like an abandoned baseball field. And it's like super, super, super just dirty. Yeah. Um, and this is important because at the end of the movie, Stacy reaches the decision when she's talking with Lisa, where she says, I don't want sex. I want romance. Mm-hmm. And that's something that she didn't get from, you know, from Ron. She didn't get from, you know, the, the other relationships that yeah, she what was his name. Damone. Yeah. Damone. And even when she goes on the date with a rat, she doesn't get it. And, yeah. and to add to the uneasy feeling, right. They play somebody's baby the entire time in the background and, we're literally watching as someone takes that that step from childhood to adulthood through that kind of one-way door. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very powerful scene. And as a filmmaker, you could learn a lot about storytelling through the way that it's shot. Um, and then number one for me is the mall scene in the opening, as with the as you. I just think it captures life as a teenager. Yeah, I agree. And there's a couple scenes like it, right? There's the football. F- you know, there's the football game, there's the first day of school, the dance at the end, and they're, they feel, feel very documentary-like. Yeah, they do. Right? Like, it's almost like they're just saying, this is the life of a high schooler. And I'm always reminded of the movie, the documentary uh, High School, uh, the 1968 film from Frederick Wiseman. And I feel like this had to have been something that the filmmakers were aware of when they made it, just because we're kind of watching these adolescents figure life out on on camera in front of us and i think it's a very restrained approach that's taken in this scene and i think that's why it's so great yeah i love it great list i guess let's go ahead and jump into our next list which is going to be top three quotes from fast times at ridgemont high so you want to take this one sure so my third quote is obviously from spicoli and uh it's where he's driving to the party with um, Jefferson's little brother, and he's like, people on lewds should not drive. <laughs> and it's just hilarious because he's drinking and smoking and weaving between cars that are obeying traffic laws. And, you know, most of what Spicoli says brings you a, a great, great laugh. 
And it's just uh, the most obvious. It's like that didn't need to be said. Yeah, right. But it's it's hilarious. <laughs> um, my second favorite quote is when Damone is explaining his five point plan to Rat, and the fifth point on it is, or the final point on it is, and when it comes to making out whenever possible, put on side one of Led Zeppelin four. Uh, and I just <laughs> think that that's hilarious and like. I mean, his advice for, for how to hook up with a girl is funny anyway. Uh, and that's just kind of the, the cherry on top. And then when we cut to the scene of him finally taking Stacy on the date and Zeppelin's pain in the background, I just think it's, uh, it's really well executed. Yeah. Um, and then my, my, uh, the, my favorite quote is um, from Brad when he's working right after he loses his job. And he, as he's walking out of the burger place, he yells, hope you had a hell of a piss, Arnold. Um, <laughs> It's just so funny and unnecessary, and I always get a great laugh from it. Well, that um, and my, they do show Arnold come out and go back in because yeah, he's right. like, F this. I don't, I <laughs> not a part of it. Um, and then my honorable mention is um, at the field trip to the hospital where the teacher turns to, to uh, Spicoli and says, Are you in this class? And he's like, Today I am. Just because <laughs> yeah. I always thought that was very uh, Spicoli once again. And then How they about, let him stay. Like, they don't yeah. even. <laughs> they're not even like get out of here Spicoli. they're like you know in uh i think we talked about it in super bad like when mclovin shows up in the yeah. class and she's like fogel hi and he's like oh okay i gotta go here they're like yeah okay you can join get <laughs> all right well i'll start with my honorable mention and i just i don't know why it it just sets the the tone of it being kind of like a raunchy comedy but like Right at the beginning, when Stacy and Linda are talking, she's like, when a guy has an orgasm, how much comes out? And Linda's like, a quart. And you're like, oh, what the hell? And of course she's joking. But again, it kind of shows the inexperience of one and a little bit more experience of the other. And it's a good joke. So number three on my list is by Damone. And that's when he tells Rat, you are wuss, part wimp, part pussy. <laughs> and Part of the reason why I like that quote was I never, I guess, is that how wuss came to be? I don't know. It sounds very high school, though. So I, I, <laughs> I don't know. That just stood out to me. I was like, oh, shoot. It made me think. I was like, I never thought about that. Wimp and pussy is wuss. I was like, huh. I, <laughs> I kind of get it. Um, number two on my list is by Spicoli. And he says, it's, I think it's at the very end when he's talking to Brad at the convenience yeah. store. He's like, all I need are some tasty waves, a cool buzz, and I'm fine. And that just seems like a cool motto to live by. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're just not making things too complicated, you know? He's like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. And I'm like, I like that. And then number totally. one on my list is Spicoli and Mr. Hand in the classroom when he orders the pizza. And it's, am I hallucinating here? What, what the hell do you think you're doing? And then Spicoli just answers... Learning about Cuba and having some food. <laughs> Even as I was watching it, I was like that. And he has that stupid grin on his face. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just an amazing. <laughs> Learning about Cuba, having some food. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Just the nerve to even try to pull that off in class. Although, yeah. funny story. I remember I had uh, with my friend Matt Helson. Uh, we took stats class, and I remember I actually did get, I think I got Chick-fil-A or Jack in the Box or something, and ate it in class, and the, the teacher actually said, my stats teacher was like, enjoy Spicoli. I was like, nice. 
So, <laughs> funny story. Next up on our list, we're doing top three songs from the soundtrack. So do you uh, want to take this one or you want me to? Oh, uh, whatever's fine. Okay, so my honorable mention is Cashmere by Zeppelin. Yeah. Zeppelin, and I would feel guilty not mentioning that. So number three for me is uh, Raised on the Radio by the uh, Ravines. Yeah. And it plays when Brad is washing his car. And I just think it really captures his, like, teenage boy attitude towards his car, like, especially in the 80s. Yeah. Because uh, car po- culture was part of being a teenager. And, I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know how you, rides, you, know, you back in got the day. your first car, though. But I remember, like, I would wash it, vacuum it, wax it, clean it all the time. And it was a total bucket. But you're like, no, this, <laughs> is, this is my ride. This is my ticket to wherever I want to go. And I just think it it captures that mentality so perfectly. Sure. Number two is moving in stereo by the cars during Brad's fantasy daydream, uh, where Lisa dives into the pool and climbs out the ladder. Mm-hmm. And that's just because, I mean, I don't think you could honestly make a accurate 80s movies without sneaking one car song in. And it just, um, the music is part of what makes that scene so amazing. Agree. And then number one for me is uh, American Girl by Tom Petty in The Heartbreaks. Uh, it starts right as that guy throws a roll of toilet paper at the school and it kicks in and we just watch high schoolers in the wild, their natural habitat. And it makes that scene in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a classic song, too. Now, the ironic thing is of the songs that I just mentioned, with the exception of Raised on the Radio, all three of the other ones were actually not on the official movie soundtrack. I did see that because I, I Googled the soundtrack to, to see what was on there. And I noticed that like Tom Petty wasn't there. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I was just surprised that most of the songs I mentioned were not on the soundtrack. Interesting. How about you? Well, I want to give an honorable mention to any of the Christmas songs uh, <laughs> that made it in the movie because they do have a section that takes place at Christmas. And that is my favorite time of the year. And even though those songs right. are not <laughs> not specific to uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I do love those songs. So number three for me is uh, Jimmy Buffett, I Don't Know, which actually plays as like the theme song for Spicoli. Yeah. And I re- it's just it, it has that correct vibe for his character and it just really works. And it's one, obviously, if you heard it like right now, you'd hum along. I'm pretty sure most people have heard it. And obviously, if yeah. you've watched Fast Times... You've definitely heard it. But then it's Jimmy Buffett too, right? Going with Spicoli. So it's just a perfect fit. Uh, Number two on my list is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, American Girl. And again, I just thought that in that moment for that, you know, first day of school, it just really is a perfect song. Yeah, totally. And number one for me, you mentioned it earlier, is Jackson Brown, Somebody's Baby. Oh, yeah. It's Stacy's theme, sort of. Yeah, and... I'm not necessarily um, a huge fan of it. You know, it. I like where it plays and the the way it's being used in the film. But honestly, I just like the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's one song. You know, me. I'm a I'm a huge uh, '80s fan, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a good song. Dope, dude. That's a that's a good list. So we're gonna end end the podcast. Total rewind on uh, our final list this week and it's going to be the top three iconic cultural moments from yeah fast times at ridgemont high which it does have them right we mentioned at the very top of the podcast that 
there's things from this that it's like everybody knows. You just know it. Parody, they've been recreated. Yeah. So do you want to go first? No, 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 you go. All right. Number three on my list is Mr. If you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. <laughs> and it's a great quote, but it kind of, to me, the reason why the quote works so well is because if you've ever worked in customer service, it's just one of those moments that we all typically hold back, but we just want to say that. Yeah. And I think that's why that, that quote resonates so much is just because, how, you know, you think how many times have you wanted to say that to your boss or a customer or something and just let go and be like, you know what? Ugh. And he gets to do it and it costs him his job, but it was a pretty dope quote. Totally. Number two is the pizza scene, which may in <laughs> fact be the most famous or recognizable scene from this movie. And that's when Spicoli has a pizza delivered to his U.S. history class with Mr. Hand. And just the, the balls it takes to <laughs> have a pizza delivery guy drop off a pizza in the middle of a high school class is amazing. No, and I mean, think, I mean, as you said, your own teacher references when, when you brought food to class. Like, this is something that everybody recognizes and has recreated or referenced or whatever at some point, you know? Yep. And number one for me is the uh, pool dream, oh, which, yeah. you know, with Linda. And obviously, it's a scene that, you know, when I was a teenager, everybody somehow got a copy of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but it's been parodied in music, music videos countless times, and other movies have tried to replicate that. I mean, even, you know, you think of, uh, I think there's a scene in, in uh, Christmas Vacation where he's, like, dreaming about yeah. his pool. You know, and you're like, I mean, it, you can't help but think that, you know, here's his dream sequence, and it's pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing how this female director understood the mind of a 18 year old boy so well. Right. Yeah. Like, and then of, of course, you know, uh, who didn't have a crush on Linda? Totally dude. It's a, it's a, it's a great scene. Honestly. I, I mean, you're the Spicoli scene and the, and, and the, and the pool scene. I have those same things as my two and one. The only, so the only place we really different is the third iconic scene that i and i i um the one where spicoli wins the surf competition oh yeah it's almost like his his dream sequence almost yeah and um again we've seen other movies especially kind of movies that adopt that sort of like surfer vibe storyline there's a lot of nodding towards towards that moment right um and i just think it's a very spicoli uh scene and it is interesting to know that, like, despite the fact that he's a character who seems um, to really have no motivation other than getting high, we know that he does dream and he does have, you know, aspirations <laughs> of his own. Kind of a, a cool little tidbit and we get who he is. Um, yeah, I always thought there was a good nod. It's, I think, the first day of their senior year in Boy Meets World. And when they're going into the new high school hall, they're dressed like surfers and... It totally has that vibe, and I always thought it was a direct nod to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No, I, dude, I, I totally get it. Because you're right, it, it feels like they were, you know, referencing that. I just, just a couple thoughts on the movie. Sure. Um, I know we mentioned it, but it, 
I think it's a, a really good time capsule of life in the 1980s for teens then. And I think that's part of the reason why Gen Xers still love this film so much. You know, it was life for them. And I think that that's also part of the reason why the film blew up so much in the time, because teenagers could watch this kind of in the way that we talked about watching Superbad. And like, we just felt like these filmmakers got who we were and how we saw the world and what, you know, the challenges of our life. Yeah, how Um, we spoke. Yeah. And it's and I think that's part of the reason why it has endeared for so long. So in 1992, Cameron Crowe wrote and directed the film's uh, singles. And I feel oh, yeah. it's sort of unofficial sequel to Fast Times. Um, it's a movie about a group of young professionals. You know, these Gen Xers are all living in Seattle in the same apartment block. Again, we follow uh, separate storylines of these different characters who are in the same vicinity, but aren't necessarily interacting together, right? Yeah. And we watch life unfold for them. And of course, like Fast Times, it has a killer soundtrack. It's just with, you know, 90s grunge music instead of 80s. Right. I love it. I just, it is very much the spiritual sequel to Fast Times. And I think that if you watch Fast Times, you should then watch singles just to kind of see the similarities and differences. Awesome. I do think it is weird that at a time where Hollywood is so insistent on promoting diversity, this movie was totally on the forefront of in in the sense that uh the director was a female director who had graduated film school and had no experience directing a feature film this was her first attempt and i think it's great and what's even crazier is uh apparently david lynch was actually one of the people that was interested in making the film and was going to be considered as the director so it's kind of amazing to think like who would pass on david lynch but she totally got it and um i mean look at the movie and she went on to make other great movies like clueless and other movies about life as oh, a teenager. another classic yeah right and then the last thing was this so i was really curious to see how the movie was reviewed when it first came out so i looked up the oh, article came out high in in published in the new york times in 1982 it was the review by janet uh mazin and there's a there's just two quotes that I thought were really fitting to end the end the movie. So she starts her article or end the podcast. So she starts the article saying, "Can there be anything about life in high school, particularly life in suburban California high school, that the movie going public hasn't already seen?" Well, maybe there can, and a bit of this turns up in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, mm-hmm. a jumbled but appealing teenage comedy with something of a fresh perspective on the subject, and. I guess I think that's weird because, you know, now 30 years after the fact, I guess 40 years after the fact, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, We look at the movie and it's such an iconic and such a great example of a teen coming of age film. It's weird to think that at the time, you know, they're like, oh, do we need any more of these? We've seen them. I think that as a filmmaker, as an as a screenwriter, that's something we need to keep in the back of our mind. That there's always a fresh take on something, even if it's been told a million times. That's a really good um, point. You know, and I mean, to think that I can't really think of a lot of teen coming of age high school movies before this one. I know a bunch after that I think are great and, and, and lasting. Um, I think it weird that there was at least some conversation of do we need to see this? 
Um, yeah, I mean, that is fascinating in the sense that, you know, once the you know test of time has been applied, we're like, it's ironic that they would say like, hey, this is retreaded material. And this is the one that stood the test of time. Exactly. Right. Um, and so and then later in the article, the I feel like the authors are a little critical of the film. And she goes on to say Fast Times at Ridgemont High is quite messily assembled in some places. And there are moments where the director's comedic timing is conspicuously off. And I just, you know, again, looking at that film and where we are now and seeing the influence that it's had and how we know that, you know, there are movies by Mark Waters or, or Judd Apatow and all these people who were like, yeah, in some ways we can see how this was directly influenced by Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I think it. I think it weird and, and almostly too critical of the film when, I mean, a lot of the comedy and the jokes still hold up all this time later. Yeah. Well, it's great. Great commentary, dude. I guess on that note, uh, we'll end Total Rewind by throwing the question over to you. Is this a movie that you think should be taught in film class? Well, I would definitely, as a film, as a, as a filmmaker... I think every filmmaker should see this, and I would definitely include it on my syllabus if I was a uh, instructor. I think the fact that there's so many components that have almost these uh, timeless characteristics, I think that there's a lot that you can learn. I think Cameron Crowe as a screenwriter is incredibly talented, and he shows how you can tell a story that's not necessarily linear, but is still, you know compelling and interesting and full of characterization even though it's spread across six people as opposed to you know one main character it's a great use in in you know also how to pick a killer movie that embodies and uses music to tell the story so i would definitely think everyone should how about you yeah you know i mean ironically doing super bad and then fast times at ridgemont high i mean i would love to take a class on the high school comedy and <laughs> just break yeah. down the movies and, and talk about it. I think that would be a fantastic class and a lot of fun. You know, if you're doing like a, a whole semester of just different genres, that would be amazing. But like you said, ultimately, there's a lot culturally that comes from this. And then you make a really good point that there, you know, there are scenes that are tackled here in a way that a lot of other movies just either aren't brave enough or, they don't know how to handle it that really speaks to people. And that's something, you know, those little details, like you said, the dugout scene, the abortion scene, some of the, you know, not the, the comedy bits, but some of the more serious things, they're done really well. And I think that's something that people should see and study on, you know, how do you kind of bring those moments to life in a way that resonates? And yeah. that's why I would say yes. Fantastic. Well. If you listen this long, we would love to know your thoughts. Have you seen the movie? Do you agree with our list or not? And what do you think? Is this something that everyone should see in film school, but probably didn't? And on that note, we're ending this week's episode of Total Rewind. So you can follow me at Big Kid D-Man and Christian at IndyCal5. And be sure to follow the podcast at Film Comp Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and you can find us Filmmakers Compass Podcast on Facebook and YouTube and Anchor. So be sure to follow the show and um, thank you for listening. <laughs>